Welcome to another deep dive episode of Hell in a Cell Phone, the podcast where we attempt to make sense of the attitude era of WWE 20 years later. I'm your host, Aaron Benoit, joined as always by our wrestling historian, Bobby Hankinson. Hello. And experiencing this all for the first time, Eric Silver. Oh, happy to be on the podcast uh, whose future is on WCW, not trash like WWF. And uh, I say Eric has experienced this all for the first time, but this was also a blind spot for me. So I was very excited when Bobby recommended this deep dive that we're going to be taking today. Bobby, do you want to talk about it a little bit? I do. I mean, it's no secret, listeners of the pod, that I am a big fan of women's wrestling. And yet I've gone so long in my life without seeing the famous... Alundra Blaze versus Bull Nakano at the SummerSlam 94 uh, match. And there's a lot of reasons why the uh, why I why that was a blind spot, because Alundra Blaze was effectively erased from WWE history for 20 years. So it would make sense why I would go this long being a fan and having able to miss that for so long. Uh and we are about to embark on our current timeline that we're our current past timeline of uh, the attitude era that, you know, we're at in the year 2000. Uh, one of the greatest uh, rivalries of all time in wrestling, certainly one of the greatest women's rivalries and sort of like the spark to a really cool era in women's wrestling uh, for a company that had a very bizarre and interesting history with that, that I would love to talk about at some point in this episode. <laughs> And we'll certainly get there. So this is, again, from SummerSlam 1994. We are not looking at the Undertaker versus Undertaker match from the main event. Woof. Nor Wait, there was an Undertaker versus Undertaker match? Yes. What does that mean? Nor are we looking at the Leslie Nielsen movie tie-ins that follow the case of the two Undertakers throughout the pay-per-view. Oh, God. Is this like Superman 3 where they, <laughs> they fight in a, in a garbage, what is it, a junkyard? And it's because of bad kryptonite? The other Undertaker is is one of the uh, disciples of Apocalypse, is it not? I believe so. It's the I, th- crush. I think it's a uh, chains. Uh, oh, cha- one of them. Yeah, one of them. <laughs> Who fucking cares? Because um, oh my god, do I have a brand new wrestling crush from thirty years ago? Bull Nakano. What can you tell me about her? Well, I can tell yeah, she's you so pretty. I can tell you that they had to work so hard to try to make her not pretty. They had to work so hard. They literally sat her in the makeup chair and they were like, "Give her everything you got." Like they, it was wild. Obviously, all right. So let me let me back up. I'm gonna do a little history blow through here, compiled through a lot of internet research. But I also want to shout out on their podcast that had a lot of really good information on this that I'm going to borrow from liberally, uh, called Last Match Standing. And if you like three. Uh, male identifying people talking about wrestling, uh, give them a listen. I've really enjoyed the episodes I've heard. There's some great information in there. Uh, so, the Women's Championship. The Fabulous Moolah won the NWA World Women's Championship. There was no WWF at the time in 1956. Uh, and then she had a falling out with the owner of NWA, Billy Wolf. And was no longer recognized. However, she owned the rights of that title. (laughs) So she was just walking around being the women's champion as far as she was concerned. And you know who, and and the other person who also recognized her championship was one Vince McMahon Sr. So she has been recognized. Meanwhile, NWA like had a full other championship lineage develop. 
had like other people do it and whatever. But meanwhile, she would be having the NWA title, but on uh, like WWF shows. Uh, so then in 83, she sold the rights to WWF so they could have their own. Um, and they claimed basically that she was the champion that whole time, but obviously that's not the case. She kind of had like her own, like, uh, special branded version of the championship. It like wasn't legit. Uh, and so other- As legit NWA, as any of these things are. Yeah. NWA doesn't recognize it at all. And like NWA title exists still today. There is an NWA women's title that I believe, bless I knew Thunder Rosa had it. I don't know if that's still the case. Uh, I don't follow that as closely. Um, so there's like this like weird like couple. There's like two different lineages of that whole title. So they had the that title that then it went inactive in '90 after Rock and Robin left, and they kind of like then they just stopped doing women's wrestling. Meanwhile, Medusa, as we know, Alundra Blaze is the first non-Japanese wrestler, women's wrestler uh, in in all Japan wrestling. Uh, she's awesome. She's all this talent. She's, uh, you know, has all is taken very seriously, is very well respected. And basically, WWF has this idea. They want to bring her in and literally build a division around her. So they sell this story that she um, won this six-women tournament. Now, only one of those matches were televised. So is it a Pat Patterson kind of thing? Who can say? But uh, she has this match. She wins the belt. And she actually is the one who asks, and no names in the tournament did I really recognize. Uh, Bull Nakano was not one of them. Luna Vashon was not one of them. Uh, but she says, uh, she actually advocates to Vince McMahon to get more women in, which is how we get Bull Nakano, uh, who is also awesome and like was killing it in uh, All Japan Wrestling and then also uh, w- down in Mexico won the CMLL women's title. Just fucking awesome. Just fucking awesome. Um, so that brings us then to this match. And this match starts out with her coming out in some cool proto-pirate gear. It's like, um, yeah, it's pirate. It's like, I feel, I also feel like a little like Susie and the Banshees, Flock of Seagulls, kind of like 80s new wave goth vibe too. Well, definitely from the hair, right? Yeah. Like the hair. Well, she, uh, yeah, uh, she looks like, um... Like the second form of the main villain in a Final Fantasy game, like not the final form, but like you've beaten her up a little bit and the face gets all cracked. I was gonna say she's she uh, at least uh, from the neck down she's dressed like Cervantes from Soul Calibur. Yes, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I love it. It's super Victorian. It's cool. And then she takes it off and just has like a flowery blouse on there, which was far less intimidating. <laughs> oh, uh, I have to say though, Alundra Blaze uh, kind of looks like a mom. Is that like I'm not I'm not sure I I was fully sold on her like ring gear look. It was the '90s, uh, the early '90s, I think. Um, you could still kind of get away with this in in wrestling territories. Um, I, I think it's funny though, like when you when you were saying like, oh, this is '94. And like we started in '96, um, the the way that wrestling changes in like just two year increments is insane to me. Like '96 looks nothing like '94. '98 looks nothing like '96, and 2000 looks very okay. little like '98. That is very true, but I don't know if that's always true. But because we are keep in mind also like looking at a very concentrated moment in time. 
that happens to be like the most interesting, compelling, dynamic time in wrestling ever. <laughs> so I don't know like if we right. if we looked at like uh, 91 and 93, we might not see the same difference. You know what I mean? Or like 2006 and 2009, right. we might not see the same difference. And don't quote me on those numbers in case there's like some important things in there, but you know what I mean. <laughs> other, cause like now I'm thinking out of my head, I'm like, there's a couple things that happened around those times that actually might have made a big difference. But there's other tier increments that I think are not as dynamic. But I hear what you're saying, but I do think it might be though, these, these are particularly yeah. dense years that we're looking at. Or, or like 2015 to 2017 yeah. does not look very different at all. 2015 to 2021 doesn't look that different. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> when do Except they... for, like, them not performing in front of a crowd. When do they lose the flower girl aspect of, of the pre-match ritual? That's a traditional Japanese thing. I think that they just did that in this match. I don't think they did that, like, as, like, an ongoing regular thing, but be, th- that was, like, um, in Japan, like, the custom, and I think for the... Since these are both... These women are both coming with this, like, Japanese pedigree. And they're bringing it sort of like, uh, God, I, I'm gonna, I don't want to try to pronounce it in Japanese, but uh, but that style there, and that there's, a, I think that there's parts of that culture they were purposely trying to like incorporate. Were those flowers weren't sent by uh, by Jericho? See, we'll now see you're more, out of order. Hear more of that from next week. Now we're out of order. Now, now you're out of order. Okay. This whole podcast is out of, of it, order. I was like. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll bring this up on the next one. I'm like, that's not going to make any sense. It's going to make more sense here. <laughs> oh, one more thing. One more um, Alundra Blaze fact that I liked. Um, Medusa, the name, which she owns, which is why she would, uh, Vince McMahon was like, and now you shall be Alundra Blaze, a name I shall own. <laughs> uh, but Medusa, which is spelled M-A-D-U-S-A, is uh, supposed to be made in the USA not um because ah. it's not spelled like the like the mytho- mythological right. snakehead um because it's made in right. the usa despite the fact that she was born in milan italy yes <laughs> she was born in milan italy yep. that's weird she's actually kind of got a crazy childhood and background in foster care and all kinds of stuff she's actually i mean like and we'll talk a little bit about like her immediate future after this match but we should also you know she's a world famous monster truck driver you know i i told that bit about I used to, about dating my boyfriend in high school who used to earnestly attend monster truck rallies, which I would accompany him to. And I have seen Medusa drive her monster truck over other cars or whatever. I feel like Medusa would, uh, would, would drive grave digger. Like, I don't know. Just it's, like, I'm trying to, I'm like, she would gravitate towards the wrestling sounding monster trucks. Well, I could tell you I was today years old when I learned that she was the one driving the monster truck. Like I knew there was like a Medusa thing and I was like, what a strange coincidence. Like that's probably not the same thing. <laughs> because keep in mind when I was like hardcore into wrestling, the, she was not, she was like persona non grata. Right. So she yeah, wasn't look- like in any of that. Anyway, sorry guys. When you look her up on Google Persona now, non grata, oh, I was gonna say Persona non grata is what what she was called in Italy. <laughs> persona non grata. <laughs> Need a lot of hands for that one there. Uh, when you look her up on Google now, it does not say wrestler; it says race car driver under her name. So she, that's what she wants to be known for, I guess. Yeah, well, she retired gotta, from wrestling eventually. Uh, I gotta say, by the way, Alundra is such a bad name. Like, talk about finding a name that's like pretty adjacent. It's like not. It's not pretty, but like it, it's close to a pretty name. It's not Alana. It's not Allegra. It's just got that that kind of like that guttural sound right in the middle of it. Alundra, Alundra. <laughs> but this feels like the same 
kind of match that the men would be having at this point too. Like, I mean, so yeah. we're, we're now about to, as you said, Bobby, enter a real drought as far as women's wrestling. And we're in the, uh, the next pay-per-view that we're going to be looking at, look at starting to, to climb out of the, the first drops of rain to, to end that. But there's not a big difference between, I mean, they got eight minutes on a card where if you look, there's, not a whole lot of matches that got more time than they did. This was, I mean, this should have been the opener. And in some, like, I think it just, the world wasn't ready, but that match could have main evented. Like it had a huge, mm-hmm. and the main event of that pay-per-view famously, and I mean, the Undertaker and Trigger match bad. I mean, like there's all kinds of, it, it, it could have, but they're doing women's fucking wrestling. Like mm-hmm. they are like, there is no boobies. There is no bullshit. It is, and they're not doing slap and tickle. Like, they are fucking wrestling. And, like, which we all know was always possible all along. But I, I, I just surprised that, like, they did it. Uh, like, they, they, yeah. they, they did before, like, the revo- the women's revolution. Like, they were almost, like, pre, pre, they, like, you know, they, they were, like, uh, they, they had it, and then it got bad, and then they had to refix it, which is crazy. Uh, you were like, oh, you guys know you could have just done this all along. Um, they were draws. And I have to wonder, and I guess we'll save that that discussion for um, for the aftermath. But let's go to um, talking about some of uh, some of the things that were just fucking cool. The submission moves that Bull put on in here. I don't know what the one that was between the Boston Crab and the Armbar, but everything just looks so yeah. smooth and so cool. And Alundra sold. Yeah, I called it like a, mod- a modified sharpshooter, but maybe not. Yeah, Alundra also like sold. Awesome. And it's just a great, I mean, mm-hmm. like, you gotta love, like, a monster heel versus, like, a fucking red meat baby face. Matt, I mean, like, it's just, it's the most, like, bare bones setup. Like, also, it's, like, you know, the weird racial stuff they do where it's, like, the foreigner versus the American and yes. all that kind of, but it's a very classic wrestling trope. And they, they both, like, brought so much to it, the character work and the physicality of it. I think, like, uh, this will not surprise anyone, but Bull Nakano obviously had some hip problems later in life because those leg drops are insane. Mm-hmm. Um, just like absolutely fucking mental. Love it. Uh, I've been watching a lot of the circle. Sorry, that was Chloe coming coming in <laughs> to me. <laughs> right Babe. Babes. It's just mental. The leg it's, drops. Uh, it's, uh, it's mental. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's. I mean, the lunger, I mean, like the physicality, everything was so fucking clean. Everything was so crisp. I mean, like, Alundra Blaze, those kicks, beautiful. Everything just fucking beautiful. Oh, God. Remember when she tossed her by the hair? Mm-hmm. Like, it was like, it was like she did it, like, three times in the beginning of the match where she would just, like, grab her by the hair and just throw her. It looked awesome. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I it's just, it was excellent storytelling. It was excellent ring psychology. It was excellent... Uh, athletic performance it was excellent storytelling i mean like i i just no wonder why this is looked at as like one of like an all-time great match uh of any without any qualifiers legendary women's match it's just it it makes perfect sense and then she gets to keep her pretty pink belt yeah it, it, I think that like the thing about it is like when it's done well, it's just like one of these like it's just there's a very uh, it's a very beautiful thing when it's done like you know everything you know there's there's not there's no fat on the match 
Like it's not like a it's not like a Triple H match where it goes like you know fifteen minutes longer and everyone's just kind of huffing and puffing and 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 rolling around and like oh I don't know you know like we're we're beating each other down like it's just a you know like uh, all killer no filler yeah and, and and you know like I can appreciate like I can appreciate a simple thing done well you know what I mean yeah. like. Mm-hmm. There are restaurants that do that do meals like that, like where it's just a simple thing that you could get anywhere. But like when you get it at this place, they just do it right. Yeah. Who else, Bobby? Who else was on in the women's division at this point? Luna, uh, Luna. Rock and Robin. I'm trying to think of who else was really around. I know because I know obviously these two have like a sustaining. Um, uh, program for a while. Rivalry. Yeah. Um, and trade the belt back and forth and that kind of thing. Uh, I'm trying to think of like other names though that were around because like, I, I didn't follow as much. Uh, Bertha Fay, I think, was around around this time. I want to say it's just it's it's a shame that they weren't able to to really capitalize on everything that they had. Um, so now for this, we also watched one of the most infamous segments from uh, from around this era. That was. Her appearance on WCW Monday Nitro. Now, you want to talk about that a little, Bobby? Oh, do I? <laughs> so, uh, this is considered by many to be the, the shot that started the Monday Night Wars. Is supposed to be this moment. That's why I was like, we were like, you know, I was doing my research or whatever, and I was like, we can't not talk about this because it it is actually viewed by some as the catalyst for our entire thing that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it just felt in that weird, like in between thing between the two time periods that we we were in. Um, so throughout 95, uh, Alundra Blaze continues. Uh, but when she, jumps to WCW thinking that the WF is not doing enough with women's wrestling. It's not, it's not taking it seriously enough. It's not like building the way she wants it to. Uh, and she, and I believe because of financial reasons, she was actually released from her contract, but she took the belt, went over to WCW and on live on television to had kept like the actual belt and threw it in the garbage on TV and like in wrestling culture, you know, like the belt and like your competition doing that is like a big deal. Uh, and she, in retrospect, wishes she didn't do it. She'll say years later that like that, um, it was an idea from Bischoff and if she got kind of, she got a kind of like pressured into do it. She didn't like put up a big fight, but just like, didn't, she wasn't really trying to do something that she did so much. And she was blacklisted for 20 years. Uh, and wasn't mentioned by the company and was like erased from history. And that entire belt ceased to be and women's wrestling ceased to be until Sable when we were watching. And I mm. kind of like, I, I'm going back and forth as far as kind of what my feelings are on this is like, like as though that even matters, but um, I don't have an issue with her doing it just because I feel like it fits in with the sideshow nature of the business. I just feel like the the unfortunate side effect then is that um, 
WWF like does a complete course correction and just scrubs an entire division. And I wonder if she hadn't done that, ha- we might um, have been able to get into some better women's wrestling sooner. Absolutely. And, you know, that's why I really wanted to talk about some of this earlier stuff. Because then, how are you going to be so, like, uptight about how, like, prestigious and important the history of your championships are when it's all bullshit? Like, and, mm-hmm. and it's, we know it's bullshit and you fuck around with it all the time. So you can't be like, it's this great thing that's worth like ruining a career or someone's career over, uh, when it's, you throw it around a story, it's, it's story, baby. It's, it's biz, it's business, baby. It's showbiz, you know? <laughs> like, also, who, I mean, look, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but typically they have control over, you know, when Alundra Blaze leaves the company, they know when her last match is going to be. Um, who fucked up? Why yeah. does she still have the belt? Someone fucked up. I mean, like, it still happens. I mean, you saw recently, I'm sure, Mickey James getting her garbage bag of stuff from the WWE and tweeting about it, and then someone losing their job over it, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I'm not surprised. Like, and when you listen to Pritchard talk about, like, it's... You know, and it's like anything else you learn, I feel like, as you get into the twilight years of your 30s. You remember those, Eric. Uh, but you, <laughs> that like Not anymore, no. Because no one no one knows what they're doing at like the highest levels, and you realize it's like, what a shit show. Absolutely everything is behind the scenes. And you're like, wow, everyone is just like so lucky that any day everything could totally fall apart. Um, <laughs> like, it's so funny. Like, I just thought my whole life that like people in charge, like, no, they know what they're doing. They don't. No one knows. Uh, and this company particularly is like, for all its like worldwide, especially at this time things are much more sophisticated i'm sure now but the impression i get is that it was still the same fucking sideshow you know making it up as they go along like building the plane as they're flying it uh they don't know what they're doing that's what makes it so funny when it's like man like you know all the people who don't have these jobs like have imposter syndrome and they're like i can't do it i there's no way I'm qualified. And it's like, I don't know, man. Like, maybe more people in these jobs should have imposter syndrome because it seems like they don't realize that they actually are imposters. Like, they're, they're not they're not delivering as at the high quality that they should be. Well, right. Yep. Everyone should have imposter syndrome, and therefore nobody should have imposter syndrome. We're all the worst. Oh. But, you know, also just try harder. <laughs> and, like, and if you, and, and if you think, like, don't think that you are, you know, not qualified for any job because i swear you know the people ahead of you probably are just barely better oh someone's been paying attention to the nyc mayor mayoral race (laughs) yeah i feel like this is a ted talk now uh (laughs) but life gets a lot easier when you stop trying to do what you think your boss is asking and start just trying and start just like answering the question and just solving the problem (laughs) without them Wow, uh, I think people really got a lot out of today's podcast. We're we're now going to do our ten minutes of meditation. Uh, please get into your comfortable positions. I don't know. I, I don't meditate, so I don't know how that goes. But a straight man who doesn't meditate and doesn't go to therapy, do go on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what if I told you I take it out on other people? Yeah, I was going to say you're just you just yeah. <laughs> But anyway, um, uh, I, I'm definitely the the big takeaway for me. I want to go back. I want to see every single televised match that Bull Nakano ever did. Yep. Yeah. Same. 
Yeah, and I want to watch this Undertaker versus Undertaker match. This whole SummerSlam, I was like, this seems like fun. And it's I like, do want to watch Undertaker versus Undertaker now, for sure. Yeah, I can't believe it, it makes sense that if you did know that existed, you absolutely would have demanded that we watch it at some point. Maybe, I mean, uh, it may, maybe we should start a, a new podcast where we just go back to Summer, uh, SummerSlam 1994. It's the SummerSlam 94 podcast. I will say... Um, you know, at first it's like, that's ridiculous, Undertaker versus Undertaker. But also, there are a lot of Undertakers out in the world. Like, <laughs> presumably, no. there are more than there are more than even two, you know? And they are a surly bunch. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, wouldn't it be great to have, like, a, a, a an Undertaker battle royale? Or, like, uh, a Royal Rumble, where it's just, <laughs> just all Undertakers attacking each other? Now, do you want this to be a, a where we get um, people who perform Undertaker, the, like the the Undertaker role in real life, and put them in a ring, or are we getting every wrestler that we can dressing them up as the as the Undertaker and making that the battle well, royal? The latter, yeah. I want I want uh, a bunch of wrestlers who who adopt the gimmick of Undertaker under the guise that there are more than one Undertaker in the world, and like, of course, I can be an Undertaker too. <laughs> It's, or it's kind of like a, into the Spider Verse, you know what I mean? Like different timelines mm-hmm. have their own Undertaker. Yes. Oh, um, what do you think? What do you think Noir Undertaker's like? Is it even darker? I can't tell. We all know I that think, we're here for no, a ta- take a I, pig, right? <laughs> Under pig, pig taker. What would it be? None of them sound right. Taker pig sounds the best, but it makes the least sense. But it sounds the best because pig taker sounds like a different thing, and under pig sounds like a different thing. It's got to be taker pig, uh, which doesn't under un, or under ham. Ooh, okay, now we're getting know. ham. But the under ham is the part that usually is the soggiest because it's not under as... porker. <laughs> oh, that's his. That's his. Uh, his um, uh, secret identity. His alter ego. Swinder taker. I do want to say. What? I said Swindertaker. Ooh. Swindertaker. That's not bad. Swirling it around like a Cabernet, yes. This is what I'm going to be doing uh, when I can't sleep tonight. Just staring <laughs> at the ceiling. Yeah. Thinking about my imposter syndrome, trying to come up with, with, with the pig Undertaker is. Um, there, I had two takeaways, by the way, before we wrap up. Sure. Um, the first one is, and, and, and Bobby, you alluded to this, is the trope but i was like man it seems like a lot of a lot of old wrestling matches can be reduced to a crowd chanting usa <laughs> yeah uh, in the middle of the match uh that's a big thing um and then I'll, i i kind of i like as uh you know as damaging as it was to the women's division in wwf and and to um, Alundra Blade or Medusa, you know herself, uh, I, and and even like I, I thought the promo that she cut was like I'm throwing this in the trash. Honestly, to me, the most badass part was just the way that was that Bischoff who was holding it. Yeah, or was that somebody else? Yeah, the way that Bischoff's just kind of holding the the um, the 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 championship on the, you know, the nitro table and just kind of like looking at the camera, it had a real, um, like eighties movie type mm-hmm. of thing vibe to it where it's just like, Oh, we got you. And like, you know, the, the pranks are on. We like are going movie. to close down this youth center. 
It was like that movie <laughs> Sliver where they're like looking in like the the, the uh, CCTV. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, you see me. I can see you. I know you're watching Vince. I know you see me. They, they just kind of felt like that was the the menacing sort of vibe. Right. It's Bischoff in the in the in the bathtub with the champ with the championship. <laughs> I, I've I never know. seen that movie. The only takeaway I have of that movie is it had that cover of Fool's uh-huh. Rush In by UB40, which does not seem to match anything that I saw in any trailer for that movie. Correct. The, <laughs> the only thing I know from that from of the movie is what I saw in the video from the UB4 video. Uh-huh. So like I'm like, like, like they would show parts of the movie. I'm like, okay, yeah. It's, uh, it's Sharon Stone in a bath. It's... Uh, Billy Baldwin uh, just watching. And then I think Tom Berenger is there at some point. I don't know. In the meantime, love us, disagree, want to... Drop us in a garbage can, obviously. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Or ban us for the next 20 years. Let us know. Email us at HelenaCellPhone at gmail.com. Get updates on Facebook or Twitter at HelenaCellPod or tweet at us individually. Eric at Prime Silver, Bobby at Bobby Hank, and Aaron at SlowPass. Our theme song is There Are Traitors in Our Midst by Disco Vietnam and our artist by Alexis Yavney. Find links both in our episode notes. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back again next week with Fully Loaded 2000. Ooh! One more thing to add as we go. Uh, fun fact also about Alundra Blaze. She is responsible for training someone we are about to meet in our current timeline. One, Miss Molly Holly. And also, I'm pretty sure uh, Stacey Keebler and, and Tori, Tori Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, but yeah. They're, they're not good. So it's hard. <laughs> to, I, didn't want, I wanted to leave them on a high note. And you know what I mean? <laughs> Sorry about she that. She also trained... She also uh, wrote the pilot for Shasta McNasty. She really gets around. <laughs> she was. Okay, no, a real fact. I'll give you one good positive last fact. She's the first woman ever to win Pro Wrestling Illustrated uh, Rookie of the Year. Another fun fact about her. That's cool. And the first right. woman. Oh, wait. Sorry, one more. Okay, I swear. Last one. First woman. <laughs> I, I this is such a long outro. She is also the first woman to hold the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. Wrestled it from, from a, a, a male person. Are we at the end of the Wikipedia article? I'm just, I'm just digging on a lunch. Hey, this is all new history to me, man. I'm binging on it. This has been a blind spot that I'm happy to fill. Uh, we are, we are definitely at the point where we've now just did the introduction to one of those like old NWA matches that they did, in, like when we were watching in like '97, like, like when they would uh, take five to ten minutes to introduce like Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe and like uh, Gerald Briscoe's brother and Pat Patterson's brother and all of the fucking championships they hold. So I'm this just gonna is like a... loop the outro music. Right? Oh yeah, no the, the music is going over again. The, the sexy boy has started over again. <laughs> <laughs>